When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby. And I'm Adam Bob. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This podcast is your VIP pass to the great minds behind some of Australia's most fascinating businesses and brands. That is right, Sess. So First Act is your peek behind the curtain of success, which of course is not a one-size-fits-all definition by any means. We're about 30 plus episodes deep this season and I keep on learning so much about the genesis of good ideas and those juicy life lessons from the bad ideas as well. (laughs) So today we have a man whose hobby became his media company. Tell us a bit more, Seth. Now, Frank Arthur is the director and co-founder of Man of Many, a men's lifestyle digital platform that showcases the latest trends in products, culture and style. With upwards of 5 million readers per month, Man of Many is an award-winning modern guide to life that doesn't shy away from important issues either, like mental health and well-being. Now, Frank himself is a man of many interests, and you'll soon find out just how he became a product and design obsessive. Welcome, Frank. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Frank, it's so good to have you with us today. Uh, We always start our podcast with a first act icebreaker. So your icebreaker is, what's the best product ever invented in your humble opinion? Oh, that's such a tough question. I I, I I always always do the curly (laughs) ones at the start. Yeah, no, that's got me thinking. I think um, it's not a specific product but more of a category I think the chair as a former industrial designer I think the chair is just such a beautiful object that you know it's been around for so long there's so many different iterations of it however there's so many new ones coming out all the time and I think it's something so simple but when you actually kind of go into the detail of the design of each chair there's quite a lot to it from the ergonomics to the materials to what it's being used for. So yeah, not a sexy, exciting answer, but I think, um, yeah, that's something from a design perspective. The chair just embodies so much innovation. Well, we can't really live without chairs. I mean, I think of like a nice comfy Eames chair. That's immediately what comes to mind for me, like one of those recliners. Yeah. Like sitting in right now. (laughs) (laughs) If only, Adam, but if only our podcast room had Eames chairs. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a wonderful, um, luxurious uh, office chair with uh, with wheels, so I can sit around <laughs> in circles. You've got to look at the positives here. Yeah. Let's uh, let's begin. Let's dig into your first act. Now, obviously, you love products and inventions. Uh, where do you think that obsession with how things are made and designed came from? I think I've always been a curious person. Like ever since I was a kid, um, my parents will attest that I was always investigating things, looking at things, playing with things. And I've always had a fascination with why objects are the way they are, how they're made, 
the purpose they serve and how what makes something stylish or attractive from a from a style perspective. So I think it's that curiosity that has always drawn me to design and innovation and cool, interesting new products. So do you remember any particular products from when you were growing up that, you know, really caught your eye or that really meant something to you? Yeah, well, one thing I always loved, like as a kid, I really loved basketball and sneakers was a big thing. And I always loved like, you know, cool new Nike sneakers, Air Jordans even though my parents would never buy me them. I was always fascinated by them. And I think when I started getting some pocket money, I used to save my pocket money for a long, long time so that when it came time for our annual shoe shop, I would add my own money to be able to buy a cool pair of Nikes, which I really loved. And I always remember looking at them, inspecting them, looking at the, you know, the pattern on the sole and the stitching and looking at some and thinking, oh, it'd be great if these ones actually were a little bit different and looked more like this shoe. So always comparing things and looking at things. So I think my appreciation for sneakers um, as a youngster was probably one of my first memories of thinking about design. It's so funny because you can kind of look at these products and they can be so mundane in how you're, you're like every day, you know, you have to put on shoes to go somewhere or do this or, or sit on a chair. <laughs> but there's, there's so much thought that goes behind them and so much detail if you actually stop and look at different things. It's about the thinking behind it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think once you start kind of investigating it and start appreciating it and having an interest in that, it also almost becomes hard to just exist because everywhere you go, you're kind of checking things out and looking at things and wondering how they're made, looking how they can be improved. So every time I see something, my mind is just kind of in overdrive, thinking about things that uh, I probably don't need to. (laughs) That must be incredibly (laughs) annoying for you. (laughs) Now, I believe you grew up in Dapto in New South Wales. Uh, Uh, Dubbo. Dubbo. Why did I get Dapto in my head? But Dubbo, Dubbo, (laughs) it's even further out. Okay, so Dubbo. Now, tell me what influence did your parents or the environment you had growing up in Dubbo have on on what you wanted to do with, with your life? Yeah, so even rewinding before that, I was born in Ghana um, in West Africa and then when I was a baby we moved to Canada then came to Australia when I was about seven years old. Um, So being in all those different places definitely had an influence on me and I think just seeing how, you know, different people from different parts of the world and how different people lived and going from like a super cold climate like Canada to a incredibly hot climate (laughs) like Dubbo Um, things like that I think it's just always I've always just thought you know the world is a big place and I've always thought you know there's more to life and everything around me than just that the area where I'm living I think Dubbo um, was an interesting place like growing up in a rural place um, we had a lot of space there was a lot of time to do things that like you're living in the city you probably wouldn't do um I think there's not as many fun things to do so we had to make a lot of fun so even doing things like you know going down to the river jumping off rocks into the water rope swings going to friends farms riding motorbikes that kind of thing um that kind of freedom was was really good that sounds quite ideal to a um a city slicker (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) 
imagine most kids these days would really like that kind of adventure every day because so much of what happens growing up with a kid when you're in the city now, like there's so many helicopter parents, aren't there? Like the kid Mm. can't go further than the corner without, I don't know, having an air tag stuck on them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's quite interesting too because like, you know, even, even then I always wanted to move um, to a city somewhere larger that had more kind of work opportunities, more things to do as an adult. But I think, um, as you see now, like with COVID and working from home and remote work and that kind of thing, you know, the, the great migration and people are now able to work from wherever they want. And you mentioned, obviously, like your family being an immigrant family, do you think there's that sort of extra drive within you to kind of uh, – I know, to kind of to go and take on the world and kind of be that extra drive that comes from coming from a migrant family? Yeah, I think it's just a a product of kind of seeing how hard my parents have worked over the years and kind of the sacrifices that they had to make um, for us to to get over here. Um, Like my, my father, he is a scientist, agricultural scientist, and he's one of the leading in the world in his field. But in order to get there, you know, there was a lot of sacrifice. And even when we came to Australia, you know, we didn't have very much money at all. Um, but it was kind of his hard work that got him to the place where he is now. And I think, you know, that's something that's always been instilled with um, inside me from my parents is just like working hard, you know, having structure and kind of making things happen because no one's going to make it happen for you. Yeah, and you've got that that adventurous spirit as well, which we've um, we talked a, a little bit about before. But you've also had a few adventurous jobs in your past. Can you tell me a little bit about those um, some of those jobs you've had and what were the best, worst, or most memorable? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've had a number of jobs. Um, my first job, like so many people, working at McDonald's, I think that was such a great job as a first job because you can see behind one of the one of the most successful <laughs> businesses ever how it operates, how um, how they facilitate and make things happen in a planned, structured way. It's pretty incredible that you know you can get someone who's never worked a day in their entire life who can be 15 years old and then they can be a productive member of the team very quickly. Um, when I was at uni, you know, I did a lot of odd jobs. Before I went to uni, I had a year off doing a lot of labouring. I worked at a, you know, labouring at a tank factory, Tank World in Dubbo. So I'd be there in like the 43-degree heat in a tin shed wearing like a full uh, plastic jumpsuit with a respirator inside a fibreglass tank, laying fibreglass in, just you know, losing a few kilos a day and just sweat. Um, I've done everything from, uh, I've done a paper run, I've done, uh, worked in retail, probably my most <laughs> adventurous job, I think that you're referring to, um, was when I worked as a snowboard instructor um, in Tahoe in the States. Um, I again, okay, so you go between hot and cold a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's uh, well, that's a good thing for your health, isn't it? When you go from uh, working out and jumping into an ice bath, it's a, yeah, a right similar kind desert. of concept. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, tell us about that snowboarding snowboard instructor experience. Yeah, so I had a few friends who had you know done a gap year and gone over, worked worked at a ski resort, and it sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, so, me and my friend, uh, when I finished uni, we decided we we're going to go over to America. Work, work at ski fields, get a job as a lifty or something. So we signed up to this program. You know, they organize your visa and get you into a job and everything. You do the interview in Australia and then they place you in a role. So when we did our interviews, um, all the jobs had been filled except for cafeteria worker or ski snowboard instructor. And both of us used to work together at McDonald's um, when we were 15 and we kind of looked at each other like, nah, we don't really want to work in the cafeteria. So we just inquired, you know, like, um, what qualifications do you need to be a snowboard instructor? And they said, you don't need any qualifications. You just need to be able to ride at a very high level, be able to deal with people, um, be open to coaching people. So we just talked uh, a lot of BS and just said that we've been (laughs) snowboarding all our lives and it's been a dream of ours to do that and be a great job, blah, blah, blah. And they gave us the jobs. My mate pulled out of the trip two weeks before we were supposed to go over. So I was just going over by myself to be a snowboard instructor when I'd never snowboarded ever before in my life. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's the the exact feeling I get when I think back to it now. Like, why did I do that? That's ridiculous. So we got over there and we had an orientation day and they told all the instructors, come back tomorrow and we're going to go for a ride around the mountain and we'll tell you a bit about what the role will involve and give you a bit of guidance and all that kind of stuff. So... The next day, I went and got a lesson at a nearby mountain. Um, it was only an hour <laughs> lesson. <laughs> and then I hightailed it back to where I was supposed to be working. And I still didn't know how to snowboard. <laughs> so <laughs> they broke us up into our little groups. I got up to the top of the lift, got off the lift without falling, which I was really happy about. And then we just started riding. And I was just way, 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 way behind everyone else slowly descending down the mountain um, and the main instructor, the instructor of our group, he would stop, he would chat to everyone, talk about some things. We'd ride to the next spot, he'd stop and talk. And while during his speeches, you know, I'd come in like right at the end because I was taking so long to get down the mountain. And it just got to a point where they, he said, if you're teaching kids who can ride at a high level, we can play this game where you line up down the mountain, you have to zigzag in and out of all the people. And they said, everyone stand up, let's all play this game. And I'm thinking, oh my God, there's no way I'm going to be able to ride in, in and out of all these other people, all these instructors who actually have been snowboarding all their lives. So it got to my turn. I thought, okay, this is I'm just going to wing it. And I just tried. And first thing, I just fell on my bum straight away. And then I went to the guy. I said, man, I've never done this before. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I've never snowboarded a day in my life. But he was accommodating. He said, you'll be sweet. We'll teach you. You'll learn. You've got a couple of weeks till you have to start giving lessons. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just think he just couldn't be bothered dealing with the headache of having to fire me. (laughs) So 
he, um, so yeah, I picked it up in a few weeks. I still wasn't very good. I started off teaching um, really young kids. And then as the season progressed, I got better and better. And, you know, I was teaching adults. And um, yeah, it was a really fun experience, but a very scary start to it. And something that when I look back at, I'm really glad I did it. But at the same time, I could never, if I was to travel back in time, I would not do it again because just the thought <laughs> of it frightens me. <laughs> Oh dear, risky business. <laughs> but let's get back to your original passion then. Forget about yep. this snowboarding fandangle side side <laughs> hustle that you had going on. <laughs> you studied product design and you ended up working for a plastics manufacturer of street furniture, like an architectural brand. What yep. were you thinking when you went into that? Did you have any expectations? Um, and what was the actual reality like compared to what you thought it was going to be? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting one. I think one of the things like when I was studying it and when I wanted to do it, like there was so much focus on, you know, how to design and what you'll be designing, but never, there was never any discussions about the business itself. So, you know, whether it's, how design businesses make money or um, the, the different fields of design that you can get into, what career opportunities progress beyond just designing, the progression and that kind of thing. So I found that the design side of things like really fulfilling and rewarding because um, it was my passion. It's really cool to be able to, you know, think of an idea, you know, come up with some concepts, design it, create a physical product, have it manufactured and seeing your product um, physically, you know, there's a real satisfaction with that. But the progression wasn't really there and I got to a point in my career where I was thinking like, you know, the next step up for me, it's not that exciting um, in the business that I was and I was looking around at other businesses at the same time in this same field where there was nothing really screaming out to me like that is where I want to be in design. So I was kind of at a point where I just was unsure what the next um, what the next evolution in my career would be and that was around about the time when I had started um, doing Man of Many. So I know that you also did a master's in commerce. So you obviously yeah. had sort of a business, uh, some business dreams there, right? Like you, you knew that there was some sort of sense, an entrepreneurial sense to where you wanted to go. Yeah, I knew that like, yeah, I've always been interested in business and marketing and that kind of thing. Um, when I started studying my master's as well, that was around the time where after I did my, <laughs> my ski season and then I went over to um, the UK for a bit doing a gap year, working at a bar. I was also working as a primary school teacher's aide, another random job that <laughs> is completely <laughs> different to what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, that one, funnily enough, I got legitimately because I had also worked with kids when I was snowboard instructing. So it opened up, <laughs> it opened up doors. <laughs> We keep on finding out more jobs you've had in your past. It's, it's, I mean, <laughs> I'm floored. It's great. There's so many. Man of many. Quite, quite, quite right. Mm. Yeah, so can you take us back to that time then when you came up with the idea for Man of Many? You Man of Many? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, 
back to what you're saying about when I studied the uh, marketing degree, I got back from overseas and I was also trying to get into design. Another thing that I didn't know quite grasp was that how many people actually study design and how many people actually how many jobs there actually are out in market and finding the first job is also always really difficult because you have no experience but in order to get experience you need that job so I was doing some little freelance bits and pieces just doing a bit of interning doing a lot of stuff but like I still didn't have a full-time design job and I was also thinking to myself you know, will I will I ever get one? Should I be doing something else just to upskill? I had a strong interest in business and marketing. So I, you know, signed up to do my master's and it was like the first week that I started studying, I got a full-time job. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, I'm interested in this, so I'm going to continue to do that. So I studied that while I was working. Um, and I think, yeah, through that kind of business and marketing, I found really interested, interesting and, you know, I wanted a way to marry up the two. I also thought about, you know, pivoting to just marketing, looking for marketing roles. Um, and, yeah, all those kind of things kind of culminated around the same time as, as, as we started Man of Many. But when Man of Many was started, it wasn't necessarily about a new career. So uh, the genesis of Many Many, it was started by uh, myself and my housemate at the time, Scott Purcell. Um, we were looking at a bunch of like online media in the States and some cool blogs and some cool websites um, that were publishing stories about things like new products being released and gadgets and tech and fashion and that kind of thing. But there wasn't a whole, um, there wasn't a whole heap here in Australia doing that kind of thing. So we thought, oh, let's just start something like this. And initially what it was, was we were just looking at cool products that we liked that were being released. And we'd just write a really short write up on each product. And the idea behind it was like, yeah, it'd be awesome if one day a brand would give us a free pair of sneakers or something, you know, there was no grand plan to make any kind of business empire out of it or anything. It was just <laughs> kind of a passion project um, in hope, in efforts to hopefully get some freebies. <laughs> so, like, like a lot of people, it was a side hustle. And I think this is, we're talking like, this is 2012 when you were, when you started this. So it's, it's been, it's your 10 year anniversary now of Man of Many, but it started out, as a side hustle, like I think it's so important for people to remember that these things mm. take time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like um, it's weird as well being, you know, like even though it's been 10 years, it still feels like we just started it, <laughs> which is good because the passion is still there. So as um, Adam said and as you said, it, like it started as a side hustle with you and, and um, Scott. You were still working your, your day jobs for for quite a few years before you quit to to give man of many your full attention. So when did you realize it was a, a viable business? Like what was the point that you got to where you went, yep, give up the yep. day job, man of many is going to be our full-time gig? Yeah, so um, it was four years before we quit our jobs um, to work on man of many full-time. And I think in those first couple of years it was quite exciting that we were able to build an audience and 
when we started looking at the Google Analytics and seeing people actually coming to visit our site and people were, you know, subscribing to our email and stuff, we were that was that was really exciting. And that is when we kind of were like, okay, we can potentially monetize this and we're looking at ways to do that and we're getting like some small advertising campaigns coming in and you know we thought this is awesome but then we're also looking at other um kind of digital media platforms both small and large and looking at how they've been able to create their businesses so we you know we thought to ourselves there's no reason why we can't become like them and it was kind of slowly and incrementally that it happen. I think the big key for us that we realized quite early on was that the consistency was really important. When we first, very, very first started it, you know, we were publishing stories kind of a bit ad hoc, but, you know, not too long after that, we decided, okay, we want to get one story up a day. Let's just set the goal, one story a day. And as we started doing that, that's when the momentum built and we realized that, okay, we need to do things consistently um, we've always been very structured in how we do things, especially when we first started it, um, you know, as it was our side gig and we had full-time jobs, it was a lot of nights and weekends that we'd work on it, but we had to find ways that we can, you know, make things easy. So set up processes, automate things where we can make things run efficiently. Um, so that's always been the strength of um, Scott and I in terms of building the business. Um, and then I think initially we thought, okay, we'll quit our jobs once the once the business makes enough money to kind of fund our salaries. But what we kind of naively didn't realize that it would probably never happen until we worked on it full time. And we knew that the more effort we put into Man of Many, the faster it would grow and the you know, the sooner that we would be able to see whether it would be, become a legitimate business or not. So it just got to a point where I think Scott, he was not in he he was not fully happy in his job. I was also looking at things and yeah, we decided maybe this is the time. Like we've grown, we've got quite a large audience. We're catching up to people who are working on it full time. We've seen other blogs and websites in our space and also in um, other categories who have done similar things and seen how they've grown. And we we're pretty confident that we could get to the same level, but we just didn't know whether that would take, you know, a few months or a few years. Um, but we thought, you know, it was the ideal time for us to take the plunge. So oh, yeah. yeah, you stuck it out. We've got some more questions to ask you, Frank, but we will be back with more after this short commercial break. And we're back with Frank Arthur, founder of Man of Many. Now, Frank, can we dig a little bit into the juicy business challenges that you faced along the way? What do you think was your steepest learning curve when you were establishing Man of Many? I think the steepest learning curve was just understanding um, an industry that we had no kind of knowledge of. Obviously, my background is design. Um, my co-founder, Scott, his background was finance. So we didn't know a huge deal about the media industry, also about advertising. So kind of getting up to speed on that um, was probably the steepest learning curve. Um 
also learning about, you know, digital publishing and digital everything, you know, like having to, you know, learning how to build the website, learning how social media integrates. Like there's all these new things that we never really had any experience with, but, you know, we just had to learn. We had to research. We had to look at what others are doing. We had to think about ways that we could do things differently. So I think um, the important thing for us, which we continue to do today, is we're always trying to learn as much as we can about all the relevant stuff to our business. And that's also something that we try to instill in all of our employees is we want to encourage them to learn as much as they can about the things that they're doing so that they can be kind of the leaders in the industry on those tasks. Yeah, that's such a good point because you've got to keep on, uh, you, you've just got to keep on developing as I don't know, a lot of people, you, you kind of hear it out there that some founders go, right, I'm the person who has the ideas, like I'm just going to be that, I'm going to stay in my box. But then you have to keep on changing, especially in the world of digital. Um, you've got yourself and Scott, um, that must be quite an enduring friendship to, to endure <laughs> 10 years so far in, uh, in in business together. But what advice can you share about starting a business with, with a mate? Yeah, well, you know, I've only started one business with one mate, so I can only talk about my experience. I know that a lot of other people have had very different experiences. I think with us, it's been great. You know, we were friends before we started Man of Many and we were housemates when we started Man of Many. And then when we quit our job to work on Man of Many full time, we were still housemates. Um, that lasted for a year. And then we're like, this is too much time <laughs> we're spending together. <laughs> we're sitting next to each other at, at the desk in, uh, at, at our desks in the office. And then we'd come home and then we're sitting on the couch together watching television in our tiny little Paddington flat. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think um, it, it's about this having those common goals. I think one thing that which has been really good um, for Scott and I is that we share a common vision in what Men of Many is and where we want to take Men of Many. Um, we both have different skills um, his background is finance. My background is design. I tend to lean more towards the creative stuff, but I do also have quite a strategic mind. I think he coming from finance also has a very strategic mind. Um, so I think our kind of backgrounds and skills really complement one another and we're quite open and honest about everything. You know, we do have differing opinions on stuff, but we're able to resolve that quite, quite easily because, you know, there's a lot at stake with our business. So, yeah, our, our relationship has been solid. And we still hang out on the weekends now too, which is which is a testament to our, our friendship. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's good to hear. But it's a whole sort of thing. It's like in any relationship. Like you will fight, but it's how you resolve it and how you know how to communicate with each other to get there um, and then go, right, we have a common goal here. Um, and obviously you've kind of alluded to that, being you being the sort of creative uh, mind there and then him being the commercial finance mind and then you kind of both sort of there you both have a say in either in either side of the business as well how do you balance that push and pull of you know when you're running a business and you've got to think about cash flow at the end of the day but you also want to be you know creating this content that is like big picture and spending all the money on it yeah I think it's like every decision I think we make. It's, it's all about balance. Um, 
because yeah, that is cash flow is the most important thing. Um, and we have so many big picture ideas, but you just have to execute on those big picture ideas when the time is right. There's always the things that we need to do just to keep the lights on. There's always the things that we need to do as the fundamental part of our business. But then we have these other projects that we work on in the background. They might typically take a bit longer or we might have to wait for the right time before we decide, yep, now is the time to do it. But it's important to have those big picture goals and also important to make sure you're working towards them so that they're not just big picture goals that you just have sitting there that never never get action. Um, Mm. An example of that which I can share is so we, we, we always wanted to, you know, video production. So years ago, we'd never done any video and we started to do a few little videos here and there. And we always wanted to do things like really cool content series. We always wanted to work with local makers and do some really creative stuff in that way. Um, last year, we did a campaign with a whiskey company where they wanted to highlight, you know, craftsmanship and people who are creating things with with, with passion. So we um, came up with a series where we found five local artisans and got them each to create a limited edition product inspired by this whiskey. So each of them created these products. Each of them had a genuine connection with the brand that was sponsoring this um, content series. We shot some video, we shot photography, we profiled each each maker and our audience was actually able to buy these products to establish a meaningful connection with these makers and the brand. We had like a guitar maker, a ceramicist, a tailor and a jeweler. Um, but something like that is one of those things that, you know, 10 years ago, we, you know, that, that was just a dream. Like we wouldn't even we would have loved to do something like that, but like it happened last year and we're doing more of that kind of stuff. Um, doing things like live events. That's something that we've wanted to do for so long. We did a few, you know, a few years back, we had our first event. Our events were kind of a bit spaced out, but now we're doing much more regular events. We're working with an events, um, event management team as well to put on some really exciting stuff for the, the brands we work with and also to, bring together the community of our many, many readers. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned community because Man of Many is also really known for its inclusion and diversity. So why is is, um, that diversity and inclusion piece so important to you, and not just personally but also in the content that you produce? Well, I think it's something that's been, you know, it's, personally important for for both Scott and I and the people that we hire is something that they value. And we also recognize, you know, we're labeled as a men's lifestyle publication. And there's a lot of, of those old school men's lifestyle publications that didn't, you know, they, they were a bit on the nose and they're not quite what we want to be. Um, something that we went through uh, earlier this year was we, we went through like a brand rediscovery um, we went through a brand rediscovery to kind of establish our values, establish our purpose and kind of look at what is important to us because we do write about things that, you know, 
could be labeled as quite superficial when you're talking about watches and cars and fashion <laughs> and that kind of thing. But we also have this um, big aud- engaged audience and we know that our readers also value more than those kind of material things. So we also want to in- make sure that we instill those positive elements um, into everything that we do. Um, so, yeah, example of that is our, this year we became the first uh, digital publication to be carbon neutral, 100% carbon neutral certified under the federal government's climate active standard, which is something that's really exciting to us. We recently surveyed our readers and a large majority of them, um, it was over close to 80%, um, said that they are taking actionable steps to live more sustainably. So that's something that's really important to both us and our readers. Yeah, and I think on that inclusion and diversity piece, um, uh, one of the things I saw, in, I, uh, did, I did see you at a presentation recently, you were talking about um, your audience makeup. Um, you know, there are, there are women that read your site, uh, there are men, and you also have, and you also acknowledge the non-binary readers as well. Mm. So it's not about just saying man of many is for one type of man, and I think that's what you were kind of saying with some of those old school men's publications, that they're a little bit more like there is one type, you know, of a man. Yeah. It's actually you're, you are, it may be called man of many, but it's about a lot of different kinds of, uh, a lot of, there are a lot of access points for all kinds of people. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of our core values is diversity connects us. And I think it's one of those things, like you, you hear the word kind of thrown around, diversity, diversity, but it's about not, it's, it's not about people being different. It's about people with varying backgrounds and attributes and what that kind of brings, the richness of that tapestry of uh, of people brings exactly and i think you're also saying those val- instilling those values in you know when you're finding the finding staff to join you so how do you find people that have that same man of many mindset and ha- also i guess or having that same passion for design and products like you guys have it's always a challenge but i think like you know i feel like now we've done so many inter- interviews that we can identify a lot of those things um quite quite easily it's not just about their interests, it's about like when you have the discussions about them and we talk about what we do, we talk about our values, we talk about all that kind of stuff. It's just seeing what their kind of reactions to that kind of thing is. You know, through our interview process, we have like a first first round interview, which is more of a kind of like a culture fit. We kind of get a bit about their, their background, work history, that kind of thing, and just their personality. Um, and then if we want to progress to the next stage, you know, we will send them our media kit, our values document, everything about men of many, and we discuss it. We see what their thoughts are on it. And, you know, we want people who are excited about what we're doing and our vision of the future. And if we can see that that's something that they're, if they're passionate about what we're doing, then, you know, it's a, it's a tick. It was just you and Scott, but now you've got this team which obviously supports you in creating all this fantastic content. But um, it's still a pretty unrelenting pace, isn't it? I mean, digital media, as you said, you've got to show up for for your readers. You know you've got to be providing fresh content every day. How do you manage to 
switch off? Like what do you do to to relax, to find a bit of stillness and, you know, flick that on off button? Yeah, yeah. I think um, balance is important uh, in everything, like in, in work stuff, but then in, in work and life. And I think for me, switching off, you know, I'm a fairly active person. I'd like go to the gym. I do a bit of boxing. I play a bit of guitar, you know, and then just your standard things, having a, having a drink with some friends at the pub. Um, I had a baby last year. So now all of those things that I enjoy doing, I never get a chance to do anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the probably the, the, you, I don't know if you ever flick the off button when it comes yeah. to a baby. Yeah, I think so. So now it's uh, I'm just even busier than ever. But no, but it, it's great, and it adds. Yeah, it's it's something else now in my life that um, some of those things have taken a bit of a backseat. But it's just it's finding the balance. Like you know, there's no you you can't. It's so easy to burn yourself out. Like like so many people um, who run businesses, you could be working around the clock every single day of the week and still not get everything you need to get done. So it's an important thing is just to prioritize. You know, we've got a task list that's, you know, <laughs> a mile long, but it's just working out what are the most important things that we need to do and doing them when they need to be done and then being able to identify, you know, what can I put to the side for now and, yeah, ensuring that you do take some time um, for yourself because, at the end of the day, you know, we work hard and have started this business so that you can have a more fulfilling life. Um, so you need to also enjoy that as well. <laughs> yeah, have your life. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you can't sacrifice your life. Yeah. Well, that's a great note for us to finish today's first act on. Thank you so much, Frank. That's all we have time for today. Uh, check out manofmany.com to find out more. Uh, make it part of your daily ritual. Um, thank you Frank Arthur we've loved finding out your first act no worries really appreciate you having me on and thank you for listening and joining us for another episode of first act we'll hit you with another one next week bye bye